0: Well, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to turn to your Bibles in to the chapter, the uh, book of Proverbs. We're going to be in chapter two, chapter two of Proverbs. So far in this fascinating book, uh, the Holy Spirit through Solomon has been uh, introducing us to the very important truth that the foundation of wisdom is the reverent awe and fear of God. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and this is the foundation for the entire book of Proverbs. Uh, but uh, verse 7 of chapter 1 also uh, points out a very important distinction, and that is this, that fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, wisdom isn't just about head knowledge, but it's about how we live, because how we live matters to God. Wisdom is calling to us very plainly and loudly, and she demands a response, either a yes or a no. Only a yes will bring you life, and a no will bring you death and destruction. Today and over the next two weeks, we're going to learn how to answer wisdom's call, that loud and clear call of wisdom. And we're going to also learn what an incredible blessing it is to heed her voice. Now, we've already found this out, but the Holy Spirit isn't pulling any punches as he uses Solomon to speak truth into our lives. The picture is very clear. If you truly fear the Lord, you've got the foundation for wisdom and for life itself. But if you do not fear the Lord, then you are doomed. So if you claim to fear the Lord, you've really got no excuse to think and behave like a fool. And this is where this gets pretty convicting for some of us. The proof of our faith, you see, is in the pudding of our lives, (laughs) if I can use a messy metaphor. In other words, it's one thing to say that you follow Christ, but it's quite another to prove it with your attitudes and your behavior. And this is exactly why we need the book of Proverbs. I love the way Tim Keller compares the Psalms and the Proverbs. Keller says, if the Bible were a medicine cabinet, Psalms would be the ointment put on inflamed skin to calm and heal it. Proverbs, he says, Proverbs would be more like smelling salts to startle you into alertness. Well, we've already inhaled some of those smelling salts, haven't we? The Proverbs causes us to examine ourselves, to confront the truth about ourselves, and to confront the truth about ourselves effectively, we've got to be willing to do the hard work of understanding what God is saying to us in his word. Now, it's very tempting for us to see the book of Proverbs as a series of, of one-liners or soundbites that we can quickly digest. But in reality, we're actually meant to savor and meditate on every teaching in the full context of the whole counsel of Scripture so that we'll learn wisdom. Now, many of you remember when Pastor John returned from his sabbatical in France a couple years ago, and uh, he taught many of us a very valuable lesson on the proper way to eat chocolate. Do you remember this? All right, he, he told us that we are to worry chocolate instead of uh, just chomping down on it and swallowing it. In other words, you, you place it on your tongue and you press it to the roof of your mouth and let it sit there for several minutes while the, the flavor just overwhelms your palate. <laughs> yeah, right. That's just not going to happen with me. His old habits die hard. I'm going to keep enjoying chocolate for as long as it takes me to chew it. Right? <laughs> Well, unfortunately, isn't this how many of us approach Scripture? You see, we want instant gratification. We want instant flavor. We want an instant fix for our problem. We want as little conviction as possible for ourselves, but a whole lot of conviction for everybody else. That's what makes the approach of Proverbs so important and effective. Proverbs forces us to savor, just like Pastor John wants us to savor chocolate. Proverbs forces us to savor God's truth so that we can learn to be changed by it. Proverbs constantly is raising the question for us, what about me? Am I a fool or am I a wise person? And sometimes the answers to those questions hit us awfully hard. We are so ready and willing to point out the foolishness and the darkness of unbelievers. We're so ready and willing to, to point out the, the foolishness of other believers who we think are getting it wrong. But the Proverbs unapologetically force us, if we're listening to the call of wisdom, the Proverbs unapologetically force us to realize the inky darkness of our own souls. It's only then that we can receive the light from heaven and be changed from our foolish ways to the ways of godly wisdom. You see, even the Hebrew word for wisdom or knowledge, which is hokma, even the, the Hebrew word points to this. Chokmah means training with strong accountability. Training with strong accountability. And so the Proverbs aren't like your mother gently waking you up on a summer morning and fixing you breakfast. No, the Proverbs are more like the drill sergeant who slams open the door at 3.30 in the morning and smacks his stick on all the metal bed frames and wakes you up and takes you outside into the darkness, into the field, so that when you're confronted with real dangers on the battlefield, you're going to learn to handle yourself with discipline and integrity and skill. And our drill sergeant in the Proverbs is the Holy Spirit himself. He does the same thing. And just like the private and basic training, we don't like it very much at the time. It's not pleasant to us. But, as Hebrews twelve eleven says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so when the the real fighting begins, we're grateful for our training. A good drill sergeant is going to teach you discipline for the battlefield so that you will do your job well for your own safety and for the safety of your fellow soldiers. And the same thing is true for the Holy Spirit, who is disciplining us through the Proverbs, to teach us discipline for the harsh realities of life, for those moments when because of the darkness of your own soul, the darkness of your own soul, not because of the darkness of everybody else, but because of the darkness of your own soul, you need the protection that only wisdom built upon the foundation of the fear of the Lord can provide so that ultimately you're going to be safe in the face of grave danger as you do your duty to God with discipline with integrity and with skill and this requires training with strong accountability and this is what Proverbs 2 is teaching us You see, the Holy Spirit wants us to diligently seek godly wisdom so that we will be safe from that grave danger that you and I might turn to evil ourselves and become fools. And so as I read Proverbs 2 for us, I want you to do something a little differently today. I want you to, if you don't have your Bible open already, I want you to open it. And open to Proverbs chapter 2, and I want you to circle or highlight or whatever you do, uh, four verses. All right? So uh, we're going to circle or highlight verses 3, 7, 12, and 19. 3, 7, 12, and 19. These are the key uh, verses in chapter 2. And after we read it, I'll explain uh, why that is. And so allow me to read Proverbs chapter 2 for us, and then we will see what the Holy Spirit wants us to learn. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain on it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. May God bless the reading, the hearing, and the understanding of his word. Let me, let me explain to you why I told you to circle those four verses. I want you to take a look at the handout that came in your bulletin. Uh, it's got a chart on it. And if you don't have one, I want you to raise your hands and somebody will bring you one, maybe a deacon. Uh, I think we've got more in the back. We've already seen in Proverbs a wonderful poetic device of Hebrew literature called a chiasm. And on your chart, you see four chiasms. A chiasm is a sequence of ideas that is presented and then repeated in reverse order, this time with more meaning and insight added as we go back to where we started. The verse in the middle of a chiasm is the climactic verse. This is the the focal point. And the rest of the verses that lead up and lead away uh, from this focal point support this idea. And those verses that lead up to and lead away from uh, that focal point are actually parallel to each other in meaning as you step uh, toward and back uh, from that focal point. You can see all this on your chart. And so in chapter 4, there are four chiasms. The first chiasm exhorts us to seek wisdom in verses 1 through 5. The second chiasm exhorts us to seek wisdom from its source in verses 6 through 8. The third chiasm teaches us of the safety of wisdom in verses 9 through 15. And then finally, in the fourth chiasm, it declares the danger of scorning wisdom in verses 16 through 22. Now, each of these chiasms actually work together to teach us one lesson. And so when we read those climactic verses one right after another, it tells the story of chapter 2. It tells us what chapter 2 is about. So in verse 3, if we read that, if you call out for, wisdom, for insight, and then in verse 7, God stores it up for you. And then verse 12, delivering you from the way of evil. And then verse 19, none who go to the forbidden woman, and this is uh, the uh, personification of foolishness, none who go to her come back to wisdom. And so to paraphrase, if you really want God's wisdom, he's going to give it to you in abundance and you're going to be safe from evil and all of its consequences, unlike those who reject wisdom. They're not safe. This is the point of the whole chapter. And we need to remember, too, as we, as we look at all of this, that the more we savor God's word, like Pastor John wants us to savor chocolate, the more God is going to give to us. And so let's do some savoring together. To understand chapter 2, we're going to look at each of these four climactic verses, beginning with verse 3. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. Now, Tim Keller points out that wisdom doesn't come to the most fortunate or the most intelligent, but to those who are most determined to find it. That determination is spelled out in eight active verbs in the first four verses of chapter 2. These are the things that we must do if we want wisdom. If we want wisdom. If here is an extremely important word. So if you want wisdom, if you are determined, if we are determined... That is, if we do all of these verbs, receive wisdom and treasure it up, making our ears attentive to it and our hearts inclined to wisdom, if we call out, if we raise our voices, if we genuinely seek and search for wisdom, then as verse 5 says, that's when we'll understand the fear of the Lord and what it means to know God. Now, with all of these verbs, doesn't that mean that knowing wisdom and learning wisdom takes hard work? My dad always said that the best things in life never come easy, and wisdom is no different. Do you want a good marriage? Well, you've got to work at it. Do you want a good job? Well, you've got to pay your dues and work your way up. Do you want to live for God? Well, this might be the hardest thing of all, right? You see, wisdom is far more than just facts that we know. Wisdom is the result of our reverential fear of the Lord. Wisdom is doing the hard work of loving God first and then doing as he says because of that love, because you know that he's right. Wisdom is, in, is immersion in who God is. Last week, we talked about baptism and the deeper meaning of baptism. And we learned about being immersed in Christ. Well, this is what wisdom is about. Wisdom is about becoming immersed in who God is, becoming a disciplined disciple of Christ. Well, to be a disciple like that means that we've got to seek God's wisdom diligently. We've got to do the hard work. Wisdom isn't just going to fall into our laps. We're not born with wisdom. We've got to want it, and we've got to work for it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what Uh, the New Testament says, what Paul says. Living for God takes effort. We've also got to genuinely receive his wisdom. We need to be teachable. We need to be as malleable as clay in the hands of our divine potter. Amen? And so if you do call for insight, then verse 5 tells us that we'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God if you call for insight. Because, you see, the opposite is also true. If you don't call for insight, you won't understand the fear of the Lord. If you don't call for insight, you won't know the Lord. So here's some training with strong accountability, some chokmah. Are you working hard for godly wisdom? Are you immersing yourself in Christ to become like him? Do you hunger and thirst for God above all else in your life? Does anything matter more than Christ? Do you hunger and thirst for for Christ so much so, so, so that you can be a disciplined person of integrity who lives your life with godly skill? All excellent questions and questions that we must answer because wisdom demands a response. So if you are genuinely seeking wisdom, then you need to know that God is the source of it. So this is what the next chiasm is about. In verse 7, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. In other words, God's storehouses of wisdom are abundant and full. And as verse 6 declares, God gives wisdom to us when we diligently seek it because he's a good God who gives us what we need, and he's got plenty of it to give. There's no other source of true wisdom. We're not going to find it in horoscopes or get it from politicians or the pundits on TV. No one is wiser than God. No one is even as wise as God. If we want wisdom, we've got to go to the source of wisdom, God himself. And so we go to the source of wisdom and, and, and we ask him for it. Well, how does he give it to us? In verse 6, again, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Doesn't this sound an awful lot like our Bibles? But you know, our culture, our culture demands that we submit the Bible to our own understanding instead of the other way around, instead of submitting our understanding to God and his word. But a beautiful thing happens when we submit to God and His Word. We realize that God has revealed Himself in those pages. We realize that God has revealed Himself in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who in 1 Corinthians one twenty four, it says that Christ is the power and wisdom of God. Christ is the power and wisdom of God. And so wisdom is a gift from God. And he alone is the source of wisdom. The only question left for us is whether we receive that wisdom or reject it. And so back to verse 7 for those who do receive the truth, those who do walk in integrity, in other words, people who not only believe in moral principles, but who also live by them, these are the people whom God protects. And not only that, God will also enable you, in verse 8, to be his instruments of justice. That is, to be people who look after and guard the oppressed. People who watch over and care for the less powerful, the less privileged. The people at the bottom of the barrel. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so here's some more discipline with strong accountability from the Holy Spirit. Are you merciful? Are you merciful? Think of the things that you've said or posted on Facebook this week. Are you merciful? Are you somebody who's looking after the poor and the oppressed, the less privileged? And not only that, are you partaking of the great storehouses of wisdom that God has so graciously provided for us in His Word? If you're not, then what's your excuse? You know, in this day and age, we've got the Bible in every form imaginable. It's printed, it's spoken, it's online, it's everywhere, and it's for free. It's in a vast array of languages, so if you're multilingual, pick one you like. There are podcasts and there are books from great teachers available to you, all of whom can help you understand the Bible. We've got a variety of Sunday school classes here every Sunday. And speaking of every Sunday, we have church here too every Sunday. Are you taking advantage of that? Are you here every Sunday? Or are you here just when when you have time, when it's convenient for you, when you feel like it? You see, there's something to fit every schedule, every taste, every preference. And here's an uncomfortable truth. We tend to do the things that are important to us, don't we? How important to you is your relationship with God? Is it so important that you're going to order your entire life out of, uh, uh, from your relationship with God? Are you going to order your entire life around your relationship with him? Is your sense of priority going to be built on your love of God and your need for him, your need for his mercy, your need for his wisdom? That's what God is calling us to. So how, is, how important is your relationship with God to you? So God gives us wisdom freely and abundantly. That's the second chiasm. The third chiasm has to do with the blessed result of wisdom, which is safety. Something we all want. And so if we call out for insight in verse 3, God gives it to us in abundance in verse 7. And then in verse 12, because of our integrity, we're delivered from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. Well, in this third chiasm, we see two portraits. One of a person of godly integrity and the other one of a person uh, who rejoices in evil. In verses 9 through 11, the person of of integrity is one who understands righteousness and justice. Well, the Hebrew word for righteous here doesn't just mean moral. The difference between a righteous person and an unrighteous person in Hebrew culture is this. A righteous person is willing to disadvantage himself for the sake of the community. Now, today in Sunday school, if you weren't there, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what you missed. Today in Sunday school, uh, we learned about how a Christ made himself lowly. And when did he do it? He did it while we were his enemies. He made the sacrifice for us. And he did it in humility without regard to his own reputation. This is who we're called to be. This is the kind of righteousness that God is calling us to, that we would be willing to sacrifice something of ourselves for the advantage and the sake and the well-being of others. The unrighteous person, by contrast, is willing to disadvantage the community for the sake of himself. We all know people like that, people who are just as soon take from you as anything else. And we're distinctly and definitely not called to be unrighteous in that sense. Now, justice has to do with caring for the poor and the oppressed. This is the biblical definition of justice. Equity has to do with your treatment of the poor and oppressed. And so these words always have to do not just with our attitude of compassion, but whether our attitude actually causes you to care for the poor and the oppressed in tangible ways. And so biblically speaking, a person of integrity is one who puts others first. In ancient Israel, this care extended even to the alien or stranger. By the way, that's a biblical term and not a political one. But the concept is the same. We are to be people who extend our care even to those who are outside our circle of friends. People who are even outside the faith. A person of integrity is willing to sacrifice his own good for the good of others, no matter who they are. And this is who we become when we walk in the way of wisdom as we reflect the character and nature of our great God. Psalm 68.5 describes God like this. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. And so this is why we went and helped Sandy this week. It's exactly why we did it. Because we want to be like God. We want to reflect his character and nature. And you know what else happens? God's wisdom becomes a delight to us, pleasant to your soul in verse 10. But oh my goodness, the men of perverted speech in verse 12 are quite the opposite. Godly wisdom disgusts them. They have rejected the paths of righteousness. They have rejected justice and equity. They have decided to walk in darkness instead, not only to walk in their sin, but even to celebrate their sin, in verse 14. And so, with their perverted speech, they would love to coax you into joining them on their crooked path. They would love to do that. But you know what? It is our love of God's wisdom that delivers us from their way of evil. This is why God gives us his wisdom to protect us, to keep us safe. If we are godly wise, we know better than to walk in the way of darkness. We know better than to oppress people for their race or for their gender or for their position in life. We know better than to watch anyone suffer when we can offer help, even if it costs us. We know better than to ignore the oppressed, to ignore the downtrodden, to ignore anyone who is suffering. In other words, wisdom keeps us safe from that danger to walk in darkness, to walk in evil in that way. Wisdom keeps us safe from the greatest danger there is, which is our own temptation to rejoice in evil and to put ourselves first and to walk on the crooked path. And so here's some more discipline with strong accountability. Do you delight in God's ways or in the ways of darkness? Is wisdom pleasant to your soul? Are you willing to make sacrifices for the good of others no matter who they are? Do you treat others with equity no matter who they are? What are you doing to care for the oppressed? Are you safe from men of perverted speech who would just love to lead you down that crooked path? In other words, are you allowing men of perverted speech to speak for you? Or are you turning to the Lord in wisdom and depending on his grace and mercy so that your words will reflect? the glory and the majesty and the gentleness of Jesus Christ. That's the third chiasm. Wisdom keeps us safe from the evil that we're all so tempted to be a part of. The last chiasm reminds us in no uncertain terms of what happens if we choose to scorn wisdom. And the climactic verse is verse 19, and it clues us in. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. In verse 16, we're introduced to this forbidden woman, this adulteress. Uh, this is who the subject of verse 19 is, this, this forbidden woman. And this is the personification of foolishness. Uh, we, we will get to know her as we go through the Proverbs as the woman of folly. She also serves, of course, as a vivid warning against real-life adultery. She's not just symbolic. But the forbidden woman in verse 16 speaks with smooth words. She's got a way of making you forget that what is, is right and good and why it is right and good. She's got a way of making evil sound wonderful. She's already been unfaithful in rejecting not only her husband in verse 7, but She's also forgotten the covenant of her God. She's been unfaithful to God himself. And and as verse 18 tells us, that can only lead to ruin. And so if you follow her, she takes you to a horrible place, a place of terror, a place that seems so incredibly wonderful at the time. But it's a place so far away that you can never come back to integrity. And that's because you've become completely immersed, not in Christ, not in what is good, not in the things that give you life, but you've become immersed in evil, and it governs you, and it is your ultimate end. But if you're a person of integrity, there's good news for you. You've been delivered from her seduction. And so instead you uphold righteousness in verse 20. In verse 21, you will inhabit the land. In other words, uh, just as God kept his promises and his covenant with Moses and his people, he's going to keep it with you because in wisdom you honor and worship him. All of his promises he's going to keep to you, namely that glorious promise of salvation. You are absolutely safe. You are safe when you walk in wisdom. But that promise is cut off for the wicked, for the fool in verse 22. God is going to give them exactly what they want in their foolishness. And what is it they want in their foolishness? They want no God. And so God gives them just that. Their reward is abandonment. Their reward is death. And so these four chiasms of chapter 2 work together to complete one train of thought. If you really want wisdom, He's going to give it to you in abundance because He's a good and great God who gives you what you need. And you're going to be safe from evil and all of its consequences. Your propensity to turn to evil, you're going to be safe from because you're going to be a person of integrity who follows after wisdom instead of foolishness. You're going to be safe unlike those who reject wisdom. But you know, I think our problem as professed believers is that we most often want God's wisdom only in the bits and pieces that we like and not the whole. We want to hear that Christ saves by grace and not by our works. But then we neglect what James said, that faith without works is dead. In other words, that that. If there's little or no godly fruit in our lives, then our faith itself is in question. May we never depend too much on God's grace. In other words, to distort God's grace into thinking that He's okay with our sin. We want to hear about God's mercy for us, but then we withhold it from people around us who need it desperately. We want to hear about what God is doing to change other people because, by golly, they sure do need it, don't they? Those other people need to be changed. But we're not so keen on the idea of God changing us because we realize that that would take too much work. We dread the effort that that would take. And so we're just fine with God changing other people, but not ourselves. In other words, brothers and sisters, we forget that our souls are dark too. And that our only hope is in Jesus Christ. He is the light. We are not. We need his light. And God would be so pleased to eradicate our darkness with his light if we would call out for wisdom. If we would seek it and receive it. Now, this propensity for evil and the hard work that we dread uh, uh, of integrity and wisdom is what this passage that Elder Ristow shared with us uh, earlier is about. Beginning in verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. But when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. You see, this is the battlefield of life, this isn't uh, just persecution. This is our own temptation to sin as we're about to see. This crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. This sounds just like the Proverbs. Call for insight. Seek after wisdom and receive life. Receive joy. Receive the pleasantness of who God is and live uh, for Him in a way that brings glory to Him. Live wisely and have life. And then verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. His own desire. You see, it isn't the perverse speech of the people around us who cause us to sin. It isn't the smooth talk of the adulterer who causes us to sin. What causes us to sin is that we want to hear what they have to say. And then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Just like Proverbs 2.19 None who go to the woman of folly come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So let me just say, if this morning you find that you are on the path of darkness, repent now before it's too late. Repent now before you go to that point of no return. There is grace in our Lord Jesus Christ. He will forgive you of your sins if you earnestly turn away from darkness, turn away from evil. You won't be able to do it perfectly. But what the Lord wants is a broken and contrite heart. So turn away from your sin. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord because he is the one who will enable you to walk in wisdom by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. You see, godly wisdom is about learning to resist temptation in every area of our lives. And this is a temptation that whether we're a believer or not, that we all face this propensity to walk in evil rather than in wisdom rather than with God, rather than in the paths of righteousness. Wisdom is about training with strong accountability, about learning to live disciplined lives with integrity and godly skill so that, so that we'll be ready for the battle of life, for those, for those trials that James just told us about. Wisdom is about reflecting who God is in all of our attitudes and behavior, all of them. It's about about being the kind of people who care in word and deed for the oppressed, about being righteous and interested in justice. It's about being honest. It's about living in a way that reflects those strong moral principles that God teaches us in his word. It's about reflecting who Jesus Christ is. And Christ is the wisdom of God. Wisdom is following after Christ. Wisdom is submitting yourself to his wisdom. Giving yourself to him. In everything. That's when we find life. And that's when we find joy and peace and safety. Let's pray. Holy and gracious God you have caused us by faith in Jesus Christ to be in the safest place in the entire universe. Safely in your arms. Safely in your care. As you share with us your great storehouses of wisdom so that we can walk in a way that pleases you, that brings honor and glory to your name through our love and care for the oppressed. For everyone around us through the way that we live in obedience to you in all things, that we submit ourselves to the counsel of your word rather than the other way around. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, not only for your grace, but that by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, we also can do for you we can live for you, we can receive you, we can can trust in you, we can bring glory to your name by our attitudes and our behavior, by the very way that we live. All honor and glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.